Podcast. Welcome back to the Kenny Chester Podcast. I am your host, Kenny Chester, and today's episode is very special to me. We were able to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with the General Superintendent of the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, Brother Kenny Carpenter. You're going to want to buckle up. Let's get to work. I don't know. It seems to me that he shouldn't be saying that. Well, what is it that you want him to say? Shut him down. Brother Kenny Carpenter is pastor of the First Apostolic Church of Maryville, Tennessee. He is also the General Superintendent of the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. He served as ministry, ministry director. He's been an evangelist in the department, given his life to serving an organization and the kingdom of God to impact the greater good worldwide. His heart beats for missions and missionaries and their families. He is a man of prayer. He is a man of integrity. And he is a man of dynamic leadership. My wife and I have been blessed by the Carpenter's ministry since the first time I'd ever heard him preach. We were also blessed enough to be brought in to his personal sphere of relationships, if that's something I can say. We have preached for Brother Carpenter. He's taken time to spend with me and my family through phone calls, text messaging. We've shared meals meals together. He's always been kind. He's never been in too much of a rush to take time to speak a kind word of encouragement to me and my family. As ministers gain influence and are promoted in the kingdom of God, we sometimes have this image of of our leaders as if they are superhuman and superhero. And Brother Carpenter definitely fits those descriptions. Today's episode is special because what we tried to get at and I feel like we accomplished was to bring in Brother Carpenter's warmth and friendliness and genuine nature to an audience that may never get to sit down in a room with Brother Carpenter and and experience that firsthand. I've been blessed to do that for many times over the years, and I don't say that braggadociously. Um, it's just the grace of God that I've been have uh, been able to uh, experience such great relationships and 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 have such great leadership. Um, and so, I wanted that to come out on this podcast. Um, it, it can be called an interview, although I, I I try to stay away from the interview format. Obviously, there are, the conversation has to be guided. We we want to know we uh, the direction we we're going, and if you want to know ahead of the game, the 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 tone and tenor of this conversation is to get Brother Carpenter to narrate the journey from a troubled teen to being called into the ministry to being called into full time evangelism then being called to pastor, and then being called to lead a church. And then we ended, and it was some of the most, uh, in my opinion, most impacting words that he shared, although all of it was great. But there at the end, when he started talking about his family, and the man is, is a, an accomplished man of God, but to operate at the excellence that he does and everything that they do there in Maryville and in the organization, to also be able to say all his children are serving God and love God and and have wonderful, beautiful families that that just are the the picture of of godliness um, and and service to their local communities and on a national level. It's just mind blowing that a man could be so success, successful in all those things, seemingly not um, coming up short in any of those. And Brother Carpenter, these are my words, not his. He would probably uh, not say it in exactly those terms. I'm sure each of us know our own shortcomings, but I, I would just want to say that this conversation was special because I think it revealed a side of Brother Carpenter, and that was what we were going for in this conversation. And it's something we'll continue to do as we move toward more long-form conversations on the podcast. That being said, I must address this before we go any further. I recorded this two weeks ago in Potts Camp, Mississippi, at the Bethlehem Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. we Brother Carpenter was preaching a camp meeting there, and one of the reasons that I have not done a podcast with multiple people on it, or, or the ones that I've done have been so rare, is because I only possess one microphone. And 
the other times that I've been able to do that, I've used other people's microphones or I've been at a camp where we could set up uh, late night. We could set up uh, as Brother Sean did that one time at, at Camp Knox. And so I actually went and purchased a new microphone for this uh, conversation because I wanted it to happen and Brother Carpenter was willing to do it. That being said, once I got there, I, to my chagrin, I realized that I was not going to be able to record exactly like I wanted to record with the equipment that I had. And so I had to scrap my old microphone. And so today I'm recording on a new microphone and the conversation was recorded on this microphone as well. But once we get into the conversation, you are going to notice a drop off in quality. And that was all my fault. Brother Carpenter was was so professional in, in how he conducted himself in the interview. I only had the one microphone and it is a newer microphone and it does multi-directional. And so I had that setting, but I also had a boom stand. I I was trying to get close to him when it was his uh, him talking, and so it took me uh, about two weeks to get the podcast into a presentable way. And it's still not, uh, in my opinion, reaching the levels we wanted it to reach, but the contents were so good, I wanted to post it anyway. So many of you are probably listening for the first time, seeing the name that's on the podcast. And I thank you. I encourage you to stick around, maybe look at some other episodes and, and consider being a subscriber. Um, for the podcast, um, but there will be a drop off in quality. I did my very best. I, with Brother Carpenter's commission uh, permission, um, I um, and commission, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, that Friday night of, of camp meeting, I asked him if it was okay to, uh, that I had I had made some mistakes uh, in recording, and if it was okay with him to fix some things in post. And he gave me full permission for that. And he's so gracious. He actually said that if it's um, unsalvageable because there were some clipping issues, I was having some distortion, and you might hear a little bit of that. Um, I. Tried my best to uh, to get it out of the, the recording, but there's just uh, certain things you couldn't do. He says, if it comes to it, we'll record this whole thing again. And that's the kind of man he is. And I wanted, I said, well, if I have that opportunity, I'd rather do <laughs> another episode. And he graciously committed to doing that as well. So one day in the future, we will have him back on. Uh, this conversation was great. And so without any further ado, Brother Carpenter, thank you so much for being on the Kenny Chester podcast. It's great to see you today. Thank you, Brother Chester, so much. And I want to say, my, you're looking good today, my friend. You're looking good. So good to be on your podcast. Uh, let's just let the audience know now that I invited myself to be on your podcast. <laughs> I had heard about your podcast, and uh, I was waiting and waiting. I had several you had interviewed, and I said to my wife driving down to Mississippi, I said, uh, I wonder if Brother Chester's going to invite me to be on this podcast. <laughs> so instead of just waiting for you to invite me, I just invited myself. I just said, when are you going to have Well, well in, in uh, Bishop Carpenter's uh, defense on that issue, I was not aware that it would even be a possibility. Uh, of course, you have your, your wishes, and uh, and we know about you know wish-making uh, as, as humans, how, how, how often, uh, how far that takes you. And uh, it, was a, it, it was a dream to have you on and to, to hear you express interest in coming on, uh, man, my my heart leapt within me, and uh, I said, "Let's make it happen this week." And so this is this is the result of that conversation. And I, I, if you are familiar with Brother Carpenter, you've probably seen some of their excellent um, uh, videos that they post online via uh, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. They have such a great presence there. And what you've probably seen, everything that. Brother Carpenter and that church does. Um, there's a culture of excellence there. Uh, there's there's many ways to describe that um, that church in Miraville. They are apostolic, no doubt. They 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 preach the word of God. They have sound doctrine. All these things are true. But one thing that strikes me is how they do everything. Thing this day and age with such excellence. It's an amazing thing to behold. Um, if you've never seen their building, if you've never seen any of their um, conferences, any of the videos that they put out, it's just, it's mind-blowing um, the, the, the level of, of talent, number one, that they have up there, but beyond talent, the giftings that God has gifted that church uh, and the excellence in which they execute God's plan. And so you've probably seen and heard Bishop Carpenter on other podcasts, and you've probably seen his videos from the ALJC. You've probably seen him interviewed multiple times. And so today I, I asked him, I said, I have uh, just a few rules on the podcast and, and not that he would be held to those. Bishop could come in and do whatever he wanted to, um, but he did ask me what what I meant uh, or what the the show would be like. And one of the rules that I have is I want to interview people 
in person, live, on site. Nothing against Zoom, uh, nothing against phone calls, but I feel like that you lose a little bit of that natural ebb and flow. And so him being here this week was was such a great opportunity for that to happen. And then number two is I want the real I want the real person to show up. And many of you are blessed to know the the the, the man, the preacher. And I'm not saying there's two brother carpenters that exist, but you get to you get that very great anointed man of God, that voice that you need in your life. But I know a brother carpenter that many have not had the privilege of knowing. And, um, and I hope I, this is not too presuming, but uh, this man is, is, has been a, a friend, a leader, a mentor. There's so many roles that he has uh, fulfilled in my life. But I wanted to get that that very true, kind, considerate man on the podcast. And so Bishop, and I say all that, when I say Bishop, I hope I don't like destroy all of that, but... Uh, Brother Carpenter, let me ask you this. And I wrote these questions before last night you preached, and and or these the directions I wanted to go today. We we see what you where you're at now, and it's hard to miss the impact of the kingdom that you guys have made. I want to know what did the call of God sound like? If I have my my timeline right, it was very early on a teenager. Yes. What did the call of God sound like to a young man? Um, in his teenage years, if you want to qualify your background, uh, tell us what that sounds like. A lot of my listeners are younger, uh, maybe even dealing with this themselves. What did it sound like to you? Well, you know, Brother Chester, um, first and foremost, the background of my life, uh, I was not raised uh, in an apostolic family. Uh, my mother had had some exposure uh, to the Knoxville Church, but never really connected our family. Um, we were... Um, Definitely uh, poor. We were brought up very, very, very poor. Um, and in the midst of that, uh, somehow uh, my mother put us in the Christian school. Um, midway through the school year, uh, I received the Holy Ghost and I was baptized. Uh, how I the first started knowing I was called a preacher, even had that, they asked me one night um, in the choir, um, they were singing a song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then uh, they wanted me to come out on the platform and testify. And so um, when I when the choir sang and they, they stopped for a moment, I came out, I, I said about three words. And um, you, you were talking about just being comfortable here. Um, I said about three words. And if I ever had an out-of-the-body experience, the wow. next thing I knew um I was, my hands were moving, and I was yelling to the top of my voice. What I was yelling, I don't know. Um, people were shouting, running the aisles, you know. And so uh, after that, a few minutes, I sat down, and it was there that I really felt like that I began to think that God, um, I was overwhelmed uh, that he would call me to preach or put a call on my life. At this time, like for the listeners out there, how old were you at this time? 16. 16 years old. Uh-huh. Okay. And so it was a part of a choir song. They asked you to step out. Yeah. And basically what could be, uh, we won't say possession, but spirit utterances. The right. spirit took control yeah. of your time. Right. It really did. Re- really did. And, and, and um, you, you know, I think I struggled with accepting that call because, uh, you know, my dad wasn't a preacher. I didn't come from a Pentecostal home. Uh, and so... For the longest time, um, preaching was something that I did at home. Um, I, I remember there was there was always a couple hours between school being out and dad coming home from work that nobody was at the house. And there I would kind of do um, some praying and then some preaching. You know, I just kind of preach, you know, and uh, pretend I had an audience and all of that. And, and uh, But it was more just, uh, I just knew, you know. Right. I just knew. Man, that's incredible. Let me ask you this. So you, you're 16 years old. You get that opportunity at, during choir to do a little exhortation. You had a, a miraculous experience there. Um, what what was it from then and how long maybe, uh, maybe do a little timeline from yeah. that point until um, when you started preaching publicly, yeah. your yeah. public ministry? Right. Uh, and, and we know right. uh, the, the legendary evangelist status yeah. has been conferred on you. I remember hearing stories about the ALJC evangelist department yeah. from my pastor when I started preaching yeah. and there was no one like a Kenny Carpenter. How did a 16-year-old boy get there? You, you know, um, my father died shortly after uh, I, I got the Holy Ghost and I got a what was called then a, a certificate of hardship. It let me get out of school 
at uh, 11 o'clock and go work. I was working construction. Uh, I was uh, I was praying and uh, reading a scripture uh, where someone asked David, "Whither has your road led today?" And so uh, I felt like the Lord gave me a message that would be entitled. It was my first message ever preached. Where has your road led you today? And so I said to the Lord, I said, if this is you, God, I want Brother McCool, Bishop McCool, to ask me to preach in chapel, okay? Um, and so a couple of days later, uh, I was going by the Knoxville Church. Bishop was out in the field there beside the church where the new auditorium is now, working on his tractor. And I stopped there just for a minute uh, and he came out from under the tractor, and he looked at me, and he said, I've been thinking about you. He said, could you preach this Friday in chapel? And so I said, yes, I can. And so I preached that message, and uh, someone received the Holy Ghost. Wow. And then from that, uh, he had me, um, I, I was um, helping him, helping Pastor McCool, uh, cut soffit um, for the uh, the overhangs there at the school or at the church on a Saturday. And I had, before that time, felt led to evangelize, you know. And I remember once again telling the Lord that um, if it was your will to let Brother McCool ask me. So I'm over there on the Saturday. We're cutting soffit. Um, and he just turns around and says, uh, Brother Kenny, have you ever thought about evangelizing? You know, I said, <laughs> right. Well, yes, Brother McCool, I have. And he said, well, next Saturday I'm preaching at Ed Davis in Johnson City, an anniversary. And he said, I want you to come. And he said, I'm going to introduce you to the district as an evangelist, you know. So, wow, that was overwhelming. Right. And, uh, Let me ask, how old are you at this point? I was probably at that time right at 18. 18, okay. okay? Um, and uh, <laughs> I go to Johnson City. I had never preached outside the Knoxville Church. I certainly had never evangelized. And so he got me up in the middle of his sermon, introduced me as an evangelist, said this young man would uh, would really bless your church, you know. Um, and that, after the service was over, a man that pastored in uh, Bristol, Virginia, Dan Bradley, uh, he came up and he said, could you preach for me tomorrow night? That was Sunday night. I told him I could come back and preach. And of course, I went back and preached. Uh, whither has your road led you today? You know, I had one no, message. No one. <laughs> I was a, I was a, one I was an evangelist. You know, yeah, one. I, I was an evangelist with one message, and so I went there that Sunday night to preach my one message. And lo and behold, Brother Bradley asked me to come back on Wednesday night and preach a five night revival. <laughs> so uh, I go back, and uh, he puts me. Um, he tells me the hotel that we're staying in. He said, this is the hotel when Elvis Presley comes to town. He says, this is where we put Elvis Presley. They put Elvis Presley, you know. And so here I am, so nervous. I've got one message to preach. And uh, I'm in that hotel room. And uh, like Elvis Presley, there's a whole lot of shaking going on, you know. I, I'm having to pray and get a message for each night. And um, uh, from that, um, from that, I got to... Uh, Bishop McCool asked me, he was scheduled to come to Boonville, Mississippi and preach. Um, and he said, I'm going to let you preach on Friday night, introduce you to the to the men there. He, he introduced me to a man named J.L. J. Pipkin. Uh, he pastored the church there in Blue Mountain. And J.L. Pipkin invited me for revival. And then it just seemed like from then. A snowball it, effect. It just did. You know? Wow. Uh, um, I've been in a similar hotel after revival. And uh, mine was... Uh, more of the Heartbreak Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's probably the ones that the people that heard me preach. Later, you know, so. Oh man, uh, oh man. Well, that's that's an incredible uh, story, and I, I think it also shows um, early on. I mean, you're talking, uh, and I don't want to date you as far as the decades. Probably 80s, 70s, 80s. Uh, uh, it would be uh, the early uh, 80s, maybe early 80s, 80, 80, 81. Okay, okay. and so you got to think of. It's hard to not think in, in terms of nowadays, but no, no social networking. There's no oh, way to oh, say no. new minister here. No. So that pastor endorsement, right? Especially coming from a bishop, Billy McCool. That's right. That's right. That was, you know, that was back before. Uh, I'll tell you, how, it was back before we had a tri-state district. Wow. Uh, I actually, when I joined the ALJC um, forty years ago, 
when I joined the ALJC, I joined through the Southeastern District. Brother Vernon Kelly was my first superintendent. Really? And so then later they formed the Tri-State District. And But you're right, you, you know, it, it was just word of mouth. Um, this pastor would tell that pastor. And, right. Um, well, man, but it also, too, that, I mean... That also, that's, there's a lot riding. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember it, even last night when you were you you actually went through some of this. So I'd already I'd kind of made a rough outline of what we wanted to talk about today. And as you outlined it last night, I said, like, "Man, this is exactly kind of the the idea that I wanted." What one thing you mentioned last night was this: when Bishop introduced you as an evangelist, you were, you're almost like, "Who me?" Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> you're talking to me. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let me ask you this: uh, I'm a I'm a collector of stories. I collect. Uh, other people's stories because sometimes they forget and yeah. I'll remind them. I was like, you remember you told me this story? And so I have a story that um, while we're on the subject of evangelizing and uh, uh, that our paths intersected, uh, do you remember um, the first time that I was in Maryville invited to, to preach for you guys? Yeah. We went to a local sushi restaurant. Do you remember this at all? It was us and Brother Chad and Sister Fallon and you and Sister Penny. Maybe Nolan as a teenager. This is it's that long ago, I think. Um, and do you remember anything that happened that day? Uh, and it's should, okay if you I don't. Remember? No, 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 no. It, it, it's my embarrassment, not yours. Uh, yes, I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, what, I, what I wanted to get at, and I want you, if you could think of something to share with me. Um, one of the favorite, my favorite things about ministry and, and church is the, the the predicaments that we get in oh, yeah. on the field with pastors, trying not to embarrass yourself. Yes. And so I want to share one of mine. It involved you. <laughs> and uh, and the good news is, as you're discover, discovering with me on this podcast, all my listeners, is that what could be embarrassing for you, they might not even ever remember. Yeah. And so um, I'll, 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 I'll preface the story by saying the Carpenters had uh, reached out to us. I, I don't even remember um, the year. It would have to have been probably the late uh, 2010s. Uh, or or 2000 O's actually it had probably been 2009 2010 and our paths had crossed and we were uh, so graciously had been extended an invitation to come and minister and I remember uh, there were there were premier churches in the organization we have great strong churches all across the world yes. in the ALJC uh, there's there's a handful of them that they're the uh, I don't want to say uh, what would be the proper terminology. They're the one you need to do well, uh, or if you're if you're there, you've been doing well. And I don't feel like I'm I qualified at all <laughs> to oh, to be there. But I remember getting the invitation, and uh, it, it I, I wasn't nervous about ministering. Um, I, I guess I was young and naive back then. I just I and I just in my mind I was like. You know, I felt like to turn over to God, yeah. God would bless as long as I'm true to scripture, true to, to the calling, you know, that, yes. but I was more worried about the outside, like, cause I'm, I'm, I'm a little nutty and, uh, I love to laugh and, and I quickly understood you guys love to laugh as well. Yeah. And that was one of the biggest things when you go and you, you, you meet new, uh, minister families and churches, you, you, you're the, it's almost like a fact finding thing at the beginning. Right. You're trying yeah. to, so it's research, right? Can, can I, yeah. can I say this? Yeah. Can we, can we laugh? Is it's more serious and more spiritual and not that you guys aren't spiritual, you're very spiritual, yeah. but I remember loving the fact that, you know, we were going to a local sushi place. You know, we talked about going to waffle house, yeah. you know, things like that. And now these, I'm, I remember think, think, uh, thinking to myself and talking to Mitch, like, these are, our kind of people, yeah. you know, they, you, you look at the, the edifice there in Maryville, you look at what you've done and all that is real. It's not a veneer. It is real. But behind that, you also have very genuine, real people. And so this is, this is, I remember on the way to the restaurant, coaching myself not to do anything embarrassing, not to embarrass my wife, not to embarrass my church, not to embarrass. I had a list of people I couldn't embarrass. And I remember I had not done a whole lot of sushi at the time. Sushi was uh, a, a kind of a new thing for yeah. us Tennesseans. Yeah. And so we were doing sushi, and I was like, okay, don't embarrass yourself. Don't embarrass <laughs> yourself. And I remember this specific place had a bunch of um, roles named after, like, superheroes. That's right. And so there was, like, you know, the Batman role, the Spider-Man. Yeah. And so I had superheroes on my, my, my mind. And I hope no one takes this as being derogatory toward any ethnic group. Um, but the, the waitress had a very thick accent. Um, she was, um, an Asian lady, very sweet lady, but I remember her very thick accent when I ordered my, my meal, 
being very mindful of what you guys ordered and trying to order the same type thing. I didn't want to order something crazy. And I remember ordering a role and some, probably some superhero style role. And she asked me if I wanted super salad, but through her accent, it sounded like super salad. (laughs) And with, and with the super superhero mindset, I'm thinking, Sure, I'll take a super salad. <laughs> and y'all, and if you know, when you're ordering around the table, it's like it's go time. It's you and the way everybody's watching you. Yeah, what is yeah. he going to pick? Yeah, what is yeah, he going to yeah, order? Yeah, yeah. So everybody's looking at me, and I'm struggling through this conversation. And she says, "Super salad." And I said, "Yes." <laughs> How big is this salad? You know, put a put a cape on it and fly it out here. <laughs> and and I said, "Yes," a couple times. And then I think it was Brother Chad finally threw me a lifeline. He goes, "Brother Chester, she's asking if you'd like a soup." Or so I was like, oh, and then I just put my head down. I was like, well, that's it. Cat's out of the bag. I can, no, no more hiding. And uh, and so um, let me ask you this. I don't want to put you on the spot. Um, you evangelized successfully for a very long time. Can you think of maybe one uh, story that um, you could share um, about maybe you getting into a situation where you might have put your foot in your mouth? I think about one. And of course, there's many. Let me just say that there's at, there's there's many, uh, but one I was in. Um, let, let's say between here and Vietnam, okay. <laughs> and uh, I was preaching uh, for uh, this church, and when I got there, I'd never been there before, uh, and I got there, and all the kids in the church, the little kids and and um, uh, teenage kids, they all called the pastor Peppa. You know, well, I would come to find out that the pastor had like 14 kids, all right, and had done a good job as being a parent because about all of them stayed in church and they married and uh, the pastor's grandkids were there at the church. And so, um, you know, I'm talking about, you know, this man may have 30 grandkids, you know, he's got 14 kids. and Right. So after church, we go to their home. Uh, to have uh, uh, fellowship, and the pastor's house, the kitchen area, looks like a mini youth camp, okay? It's got long tables. There's no little small kitchen. It's got long tables, and, and of course, all of his kids and grandkids are there. There's probably there's probably 30 people there, you know? We're all sitting around and talking, and, and uh, I just said, man, I would hate to be your papaw. At Christmas, <laughs> well, the room fell silent as could be. And one of them said, Papa doesn't believe in Christmas. Right. <laughs> and somehow the Lord helped me because I said it this quick. I said, you know, if I had that many kids, I wouldn't believe in Christmas either. <laughs> so, so <laughs> save the day, you know. But, uh, yeah, um, those are interesting times. That's you know? great. That and, is so great. I love that oh, you, you're so quick on your feet as well. well. And, you know, when I first started evangelizing, uh, I had never really been. I was in. The, I was actually 16 years old when, when I got in the church. And that was the first time I'd actually uh, uh, eaten a meal in a restaurant. Wow. I'm about 16 years old. We, we just didn't go to restaurants, you know. And I can remember starting to evangelize and not knowing if they took me to... Uh, an upscale restaurant, not not knowing what to order, you know, like, you know, uh, like smothered chicken. Well, I thought it was a chicken with asthma. I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't know. And, and so I would a lot of times I eat food just whatever the pastor wants. Yeah, you know, I, I like what he's got, you know. And you like chicken livers? No, yeah, so yeah. So uh, it, it's been exciting. Oh, that's incredible! That's incredible. Um, we're bump, bumping up at 24 minutes, and I've, I told myself before this that I wasn't going to hold ourselves to a time today because this is such a special occasion here at the, the Kenny Chester Podcast. So let's press on and go forward from an evangelist. Now, uh, those of you, I have a lot of listeners that uh, aren't even familiar with our with the church organization. They might not even go to church. Um, we, we get some interesting analytics around here from uh, about 10 different countries in the world we have listeners from right now. Uh, markets in uh, in the United States that I know that I don't know anybody personally there. Wow. Um, and so um, so I'm very interested. I'm sure the audience, if you're listening, you clicked on this episode today, you're very interested in this type of talk as well. I'm very interested. Okay, so you are, and you probably wouldn't say this, and I understand 
I'll, I'll be the one to say this. Looking back in history, knowing that you, you're a premier evangelist, very sought after, very busy. You didn't, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't come off the field because the calendar was empty. I'm sure that you were sought, you're still sought after. You still probably you know, keep a, a, a fuller preaching schedule than, than most full-time evangelists at this time, and you're uh, pastoring a church to have been for some time. Let me ask you, uh, so we talked about your call of God. Then we talked about the call to the evangelistic field. Uh, for those that are preaching now, young preachers, and maybe they're at that stage, what did the call to pastor feel like? Like when did it, when did it begin to shift for you? Um, because as someone that's evangelized briefly before, and, and still, you know, I still I preach out uh, quite a bit, uh, not in the full time aspect. It's fun. It's yes. really, really fun to go in and preach yes. and build faith and yeah. have fun and eat yes. and leave. And leave. <laughs> yeah, yes. and leave. Yeah, it's yeah. really fun. So um, your experience doesn't seem like it'd be, well, you know, it didn't work out for him. So he, he took the first church available. And not saying that, you know, yeah. that I know people that done that. You know, I'm sure there's been times past, but I'm not referring to anyone specifically. But in your case, what did that feel like when, like, following, you know, the leading of the Lord from the evangelist field to pastoring a local church. Uh, Brother Chester, the Maryville Church was three years old when I became the pastor. Uh, I had preached there. Um, Brother Arwood, James Arwood, actually founded the church. Uh, I had preached the first revival for the Maryville Church. Uh, I had preached, um, you, you know, special events uh, for them. I, I, I preached the second anniversary of the church. Bishop preached the first. Uh, I preached the second uh, as a matter of fact, um, I preached in Maryville so much when I was an evangelist, uh, especially, you know, the November through the January time when it's not that busy for evangelists. Holidays. And- yeah. Uh, Brother Brother Arwood just told me, said, you know, just come on here, you know, whatever Sundays uh, you're in town. And so I, I, I preached uh, so much when I was home that... Uh, Brother McCool called me one day, and he asked me. He, uh, he asked me, had anyone in the Knoxville Church offended me, or had something happened? And I, I said, no. Why has somebody said anything? And he said, no. He said, but normally when an evangelist comes home, he'll come to his home church and said, every time I uh, try to find out where you're at, you're at Maryville. So uh, there was just a connection there. It was a connection there. Um, I was in uh, Hammond, Indiana. Uh, preaching for Bradley Bullock, um, and uh, I was very troubled in my spirit about uh, my calling, and uh, I began to pray, and it seemed like the Lord directed me um, in my mind toward Maryville. And I, I, the next morning, I called Brother Arwood. We were, we were, and still are to this day good friends. Um, I called him that morning, and I said, Brother Arwood. I believe God wants me to come and help you there in the church. I, I really didn't think that I could pastor. I just thought he wanted, you know, God wanted me to help maybe be a youth pastor. And Brother Arwood, that morning when I called him, he was very short with me um, to, the, to the point that when he hung up and I hung up, I thought I'd lost a friend. Wow. I really did. I thought I had said something to offend him, what I didn't know is that morning he had already had a meeting scheduled with Bishop McCool to resign the Maryville Church. And the reason he was short with me, and he told me later, he said, I thought that someone had told you. Wow. And I just thought you were bigger than that. You, you know, of course, when he told the only ones that knew was his wife, Sister Judy Arwood, and Bishop McCool. And when uh, he went to Bishop and said, have you, have you told someone? And he said, no. Bishop McCool said, Brother Arwood said, I, I think I know who told Brother Carpenter. He said, I think God's the told Lord, you. Right. Know? So that that was what turned uh, to go to Miraville. Um Miraville at the time, I remember that night getting elected as their pastor. And a man in the congregation stood up and said, we want a full-time pastor. And um, so Brother McCool they, they, they began to discuss what I would make, how much I needed. I didn't know how much I needed. I, mean, I, I you know. Back uh, in those so, days, you didn't yeah. know as an evangelist. You were no, working no. on love offerings right, and whatever right. they could. Well, uh, you, you know, as an evangelist, you get your room paid for, your meals paid for. You, you don't have, you know, 
all I've got, told him that night, I said, I've got a car payment. You know, I, I remember I remember my car payment. It was $121. You know, I had a big car note back then, <laughs> you know. So um, they decided on an amount to pay me. Um, the only issue was the church wasn't bringing that in, you know. So anyway, we had fun. Um, it was just, I, I really believe with anything, whether it's evangelizing or pastoring, I think upon the word motive, um, hinges whether God blesses something That's know, very good. or not. You know, yes, it, is it motive? I, I, uh, I just really felt, Brother Chester, that's where God wanted me. That's incredible. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. I had a little technical difficulty there with a, with a soundbite. Um, let me ask you, uh, in, in going with Maryville, um, now if I have my facts right, started with around 20 when you were voted in? Yes. Uh-huh. And so um, <clears throat> I, I'm sure you could write a book, and maybe one day you will. Uh, you might even be working on one now. I'm not sure. But um, for those of us that have not bought the book yet, yeah. um, <laughs> what is what is Brother Carpenter's advice and Maryville's um, story? Now, some of us that are, that are familiar with the story, we know about the Maryville Miracle. Yeah. And we know the focus of giving and we know all that. And if that's something you want to talk about, that'd be great. But I want to know from a, from a, from a, a evangelist taking a church of 20, and if it was stages, if it was seasons, however you can break it down, like where, where do you, how did you see the it going from where you started to where it is now? And I cannot stress enough, if you are unfamiliar with the Maryville Church, uh, is it still FACTV.com? Uh, yes, FACTV.org. Yes. Go go to the website, yeah. find, them, find them on Instagram and, and Facebook, and, and be prepared to have your mind blown by the, the, the size and scope and the magnitude of that ministry. It's just, it's phenomenal. It's a, it's a miraculous thing that God has done there in the city of Maryville. Let me, let me, so just answer that question however you, you want, like from 20 to yeah. 2021, you know, this uh, year, what, what happened? You know, I can say this, stay, stay, work with what you have. You know, don't, don't be a pastor that has 20 and is going to wait to have 50 to do something. Um, work with what you've got. Um, I remember in those early days, uh, it's very easy, and I'm gonna be very, I'm gonna be very transparent. It's very easy to let jealousy creep in toward larger churches. You know, the Knoxville Church would come over and bring their buses. They would come close to having more floor space on their bus than we did in our church. Um, and maybe every pastor doesn't struggle with this. But, you know, you're struggling. They'd have more get the Holy Ghost in one revival than we had people attending our church. They could take up more money in one night than we would bring in in a year. And it's easy when you hear those reports and you're under the shadow of such a great church. It's easy to feel like you're not doing anything or you could even feel like, well, you know, they don't believe the holiness standard. They don't believe, you know, they're letting down, you know. And... You fight all through that, you know, and you keep working. Um, for years, my wife and I uh, used to, uh, on Thursdays, um, Sister Carpenter would call businesses, and we, she would take lunch orders. And her and I, another lady in the church, would make uh, turkey dinners or ham dinners, and uh, they were $3 a piece. Uh, there was a meat, two vegetables, and dessert. And I was the delivery boy. I would... Uh, Put those dinners. Some some weeks we sold maybe two hundred dinners, you know, wow. and uh, we put all those dinners in that van, and it, it's uh, we we just whatever we had. That's what we that's what we worked with. Uh, motive, uh, you, you know, we just kept we just kept swinging, kept trying. I remember um, for years we we were both Penny and I were both the product of a Christian school, and so for years. Um, we would every Monday through Friday, uh, I would get up, um, go to the church. Anybody that wanted to go to the Christian school would in Knoxville would get on the van. Matter of fact, that's where the Moppin, Michael Moppin, uh, his parents um, um, called us and said, would you take our boys to school? We did. I taught Michael Moppin's uh, mother a Bible study, baptized Michael's mother, yeah, that's right. uh, but that's where they came in. And so we did that for years, and it just seemed like we stayed occupied doing whatever we could. Um, 
I think with doing the best we could, the first spotlight that we had, okay, uh, Sister Carpenter was doing a, um, uh, a Christmas drama, and we needed a spotlight. Well, we didn't have the money. We didn't have the money to go buy a spotlight. So uh, a man in the church uh, took a, uh, a coffee can, okay, cut the end out of it, went to Lowe's and bought a spotlight and screwed it to the coffee can and screwed a handle on the coffee can, sprayed it black, and I sat there on under the pew. That's so great. And that was my spotlight, <laughs> you know. And we, you know, and we did that and packed that little building out. We probably had a grand total of 80 there, you know. But when you're running 20 and 25, right. 80's, 80's a big number, yeah, you know. Right. And so we just kept on and we kept on until... Um, we filled the building and we bought property and, and it's just kind of like um, it's every level. We started our own Christian school eventually and um, it just seemed like every level uh, God would just open a door. I, I mentioned this last night. Um, in a lot of ways, I can't identify with struggle. Um, I, I didn't say I can't identify with hardship. It seems like it, the, the doors have just always opened. Uh, it seems like if uh, I've often said, if it's God's will, it's God's bill, you know. That's great. And so it, it just seems like it's it's a journey. I I don't think it's over by any means. No, sir. Uh, we've got a Bible school in the future. Or matter of fact, this year, and I'll go ahead on your podcast and announce that I will be going to the architect this year uh, to work on dormitories to be built on our church property. That's incredible. Because I, I really... You know, we're talking Bible college? Bible, Bible college. Wow. Yeah. To, yeah. Bring, to bring uh, men and women uh, from around our fellowship and other fellowships uh, there for intensive training and that we can send them out. Uh, we have got to produce more missionaries. We have got to start more churches. And we, we have got... The Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ is blessed with... Uh, youth that are really high caliber. I mean, they're high caliber. I couldn't agree more. Uh, the, these youth that are here at this uh, Mississippi camp, right? Uh, they're they're just like waiting to be seen. Right. You it's, know? it's almost as what what we might not have in quantity, we overcompensate with quality. Uh, and there's it's no doubt. Have. There's no doubt. I, uh, I agree with that. And and I just want to I want to facilitate. I want to have a place where uh, you know Brother Erickson and the team are we're working on it right now. We, we have ruled out it being a four-year Bible college. We personally, I personally feel we don't have that much time left. And so we're looking at more like a two-year Bible college of intensive training. Um, you, you know, training in people skills, how to, how to win souls, uh, how to relate to sinners. You, you know, some, some of us have been away from, the sin, from being a sinner so long, we forgot what it's like to be a sinner. And um, there's just different things I've got. That, that's my that's my goal. I love that. I don't think I've ever heard that story about you guys selling plate lunches and you being the delivery boy. And, oh, yeah. and, and it, it, it actually brought back to my mind, uh, I used this quote, uh, it's been two or three years ago, I was preaching <clears throat> a revival, and I used this quote, I think it was Rich Mullins, the, uh, the, the songwriter that wrote Awesome God back in the 90s, Our God is an Awesome God. And he, I don't know if he was preaches or what, but I, I read a quote uh, in a book that he said that David didn't start out his day looking to slay a giant. Mm. He was simply delivering food and the giant got in the way. Very and it's this idea, <laughs> you know, that speaks to do about, yeah. go about your business, what God, your father, you know, has yeah. sent you to do, take care of your brethren, be doing that. Mm. And when the giant arises, mm. you know, and, and so the, the, the idea is, Goliath was keeping him like from his mission. You know, it wasn't, you know, we've got a lot of people that seek giants to slay because they want the scalp. They yeah. want the notch on the belt. I took yep. out Goliath. And a lot of times, and it's been this way in my ministry that I have found that it's <clears throat> it's not the battles that I seek out that that are, are personal victories that I can go back and draw from. It's actually when I'm doing the you know, the day-to-day ministry of, of friends and family and, and event, you know, trying my best, not the, and I'm not that I don't like evangelizing in pulpits, but if I'm evangelizing my neighborhood and my, those are the times that the giants arise and I get to fight those giants, but it's not because I look for them. Right. I was just right. delivering ham sandwich. Yes. That's um, very good. 
Meet, uh, Brother Carpenter, um, I, 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 I wanted to ask you a question, and uh, this is also going back to the, 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 the work there at, at Maryville. Um, anyone that's ever heard your preaching and, and have seen this, and I would love to have you on as a, uh, if I could ever get this all the stars to align again uh, just perfectly like they did this week. I'd love to have you on. I do a series on adventures in preaching, and I would love you are not just in the ALJC, you're one of the premier uh, preachers in Pentecost. And I don't say that because you're sitting across from me, everybody uh, that, that is familiar with our movement and then beyond now, I feel like holds you in high regard of your preaching. So I would love to get you on an Adventures in Preaching specific episode about how you get your thoughts and how you prepare your sermons. Um, that being said, a lot of your sermons, um, I feel like you have you have issued a clarion call to this generation, um, not just with your preaching, although it's apparent there, but with the lifestyle and the the product that Maryville puts out there, that you do not have to compromise yeah. holiness. And when I mean holiness, I mean everything yeah. that it sounds like when I say it. I'm not trying to sneak in holiness on. So I'm talking about an apostolic belief. Of, of a standard of living that is separate from the world um, and and that 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 brings glory to God and and that that <clears throat> empowers the people that live that way and and I love that you were honest enough to say earlier that you know there is a tendency if you're struggling in, in, in work you know to cast dispersions on your brethren and this is the issue that you raise sometimes like well they must you know there's obviously you know if they were preaching as hard as I preach or if they right. preach it you know if they give the full counsel then they would run people yeah. off now you're on the other side of that of that right. curb right. and you obviously have not let down you know at all so maybe encourage us on this i know they'll have a lot of preachers listening to this um how how were you guys so effective at maintaining apostolic identity while evangelizing a very secular world i know that we're still in you know you're still in tennessee you know we still get the benefit of of that bible belt type Right. that village that type but i mean you guys i mean this world there's there's hardly a place in our world right now that isn't heavily secularized right. and worldly right. and so how how did you guys do what y'all did while maintaining strong apostolic identity brother chester that's a that's a very good question i i'm uh, yeah. when you when you think about it i think over the years um we have we have learned how to present holiness um in a way that is not offensive, you, you know, um, it's the beauty of holiness. Uh, I, I think one of the things that we do at FAC Maryville, we have a class called "What's Next," you know, and when people come in um, and they get the Holy Ghost, get baptized, we just direct them toward the "What's Next" class. What what is next? And in those classes. Um, there's a, my wife teaches one class. It is on holiness, and and through it's 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 presented uh, through the Bible. Uh, it's presented in in a, in a way that uh, they understand it. You know, they're there in that class. I think being wise too, kind of kind of helps. Um, it kind of helps you in in that subject. There, just kind of being wise, knowing the level. I think you always have to know your audience. And know the level. Um, you don't feed a baby a steak. You, you, you know, right? You may have it in the kitchen, but you, but he can't digest that. Right. You, you know, and it's good for some people. Right, it's good for that level. Right, right. And, and so, you know, you just keep that. And then I think leadership. I think you have, oh, this is the importance of, of leadership. You keep your leadership focused. Um, one of the ways I think that, that that has helped us for whatever reason, for whatever reason. Um, everybody that that gets in our church wants to sing in our choir. All right? I think um, I think last Sunday, and I'm not just throwing numbers to uh, to do. No, no, okay, we, okay. I just want to prove a point. I, I think last Sunday we had 175 people in our choir. Wow. Okay. And uh, my wife says that we don't use people to build a choir. We use a choir to build people. Yes. And, and there's so a good. big there's a big difference. We we give them a choir handbook. And uh, this is what would be expected of you. And so uh, a lot of people that are just, some of them are two or three weeks in the kingdom. They just abide right. by it. And that's you know. not a foreign concept for other right. people joining organizations that's to right. have communicated them. Right. This, for this level of involvement, 
to buy into this right. organization, to represent this right. organization. Right. Um, I think sometimes we, we get it in our mind that, you know, that people are going to run away from that when, right. you know, in our society, there's, there's many institutions that condition people yeah. for that already. Right. And it, and it, it's not a negative thing in those atmospheres. They know like you dress for the job that you want, like right. if you're in a, right. in a corporate world. And so it's not, right. it's yeah. like, I want that type of influence or that type of, of authority in the company. Yeah. I will represent the company in that way. Well, uh, you know, I, I think is to keep the vision before the people. You always have value connected to vision, and vision always has value. So whatever we value will be our vision. If we value holiness, it will be, it will be see the benefit of holiness. And, I, you know, I think in a day that we're living in, the culture that we're living, I believe the apostolic church is coming to the forefront Something that years ago our culture looked at us and called us fanatics. I believe the culture is looking at us a little different today, and the gender identity and all of this stuff. I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I I had made a comment, and it's maybe four or five years ago when we were teaching discipleship, uh, and it was right when the the bathroom uh, mm-hmm. bills were being passed in North Carolina that got them in a lot of trouble. And I remember thinking, you know, I was like, well, number one. This is, this is crazy that we're, right. we're actually debating this as, as, as a matter of public policy. But I remember uh, in, a, in a group of church, we were talking about our discipleship program. I said, you know, th- this right here shows the wisdom of all those years Absolutely. of, of, our, of our, our, our pioneers of, of this, this, this message that there is, a, there is value in the distinction. Yes, and 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 again, I couldn't agree with you more. That I feel like as the world mm-hmm. gets more secular and more mm-hmm. immoral, mm-hmm. that the that the moral laws as put forth in the Bible mm-hmm. and that 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 truth that the church the church can preach and still should be preaching yes. will be elevated to a position where people will see the wisdom in that. That's true. We you, you know um, the uh, again value and vision they always go hand in hand. It's, it it always amazed me. When I read about when Judas sold Jesus, I mean, what price do you put on a man that can walk on water? What price do you put on a man that can raise the dead? So when Judas is negotiating with the Pharisees about a price, 30 pieces of silver, he ought to laugh. But he accepted it because that's how he valued Jesus. He saw Jesus as as someone... Uh, like a slave master, he sold him for for the like price a of, of a servant. Right. You, you know, and, and uh, you know, when you, if you value something little, you see it little. You can't. But when you we we're beginning to see, like you just so beautifully said, that our forefathers they had it right. Right. You know, that's something I've been thinking about for a while. Is I heard as um, actually a, a psychologist and an evolutionary biologist, not really debating, but in a conversation about the meaning of truth and what truth is. Uh, obviously, as uh, us spiritual folks, we you know the word of God is truth. You know, it's it's he is uh, he is truth. Um, he's the word made flesh. We get I, I get all those things. But as a uh, as a uh, as a thought of truth, I heard a guy arguing from the standpoint that truth can be uh, when you say if you fire off an arrow and you can state as it, it's flying true, which means that it is traveling in the direction that uh, it should be going. Mm-hmm. Is it flying true once it's released? And, and I love this thought of truth. Obviously I have the spiritual definition of truth um, and, and the word of God being truth. But when you're, when a society is working on truth and it could, could be said as the early uh, Pentecostal, apostolic Pentecostal movement uh, in the Americas is when they're deciding what is truth. When we say what the Bible has said about specific practical things uh, in the Bible, when they're doing that, it's, it's, it's also correct to say what they were saying was on its way mm-hmm. to the, the perfect realization of the word of God. Not that mm-hmm. they not that they didn't get it wrong, but even Paul says, for now we know in part, we see in part, you know, but we will know. But so he's basically he's saying like, like we don't see the full picture, but we get a glimpse of it. And if we're in we're in that direction, like an arrow flying true. And I, it made me think of like when say the the in the old testament there was laws concerning diet and concerning even what to do with the waste in the community mm-hmm. that you had to carry it so far out of the 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 the, 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 right. the campground uh, and bury it and do all these things all these and they maybe they didn't know about biology right. they didn't know about health and medicine right. but they had this idea 
that was keeping them safe before they can explain it with science, before there was germ theory, before there were all this stuff. And so what they were doing was true and truth, even if they couldn't explain and That's articulate right. exactly why. Right. And so they were, it was, it's like, it's like a directional thing. It's like, it's, it's flying true. <laughs> and I look at a lot of times our apostolic forefathers, you know, you could, they might not have been able to articulate exactly why that was important in that day and age when all the churches believed in distinction, yeah. you know, of the sexes and this, you know, man should look like a man, a woman should look like a woman. But I look at it and say, even without the articulating arguments, now, now we have scholarship. Now we have apostolic colleges that they didn't have back then. Now we can articulate it. We've got the books for it. Mm-hmm. But even then they let that arrow fly and it was right. flying. Right. True. It, it was, was true. True. Right. I had a gentleman that was a next door neighbor, an extremely educated man. He was the head pharmacist there at the hospital in Maryville and uh, he came across the street one day. He said, I, I, I would like to give you some information. He said, I, I believe that you can preach this. And I'm thinking, now, wonder what this is going to be about. And he told me that uh, there is a vitamin or there is something in the blood that it, it, it's, it has to do with blood clotting. And throughout your whole life, you have this ability for your blood to clot. But there's a certain day in your life that this chemical in your body is at the highest it will ever be. And he said, it's the eighth day of your life that you have this chemical that peaks to clot your blood. And of course, it was the eighth day that they would circumcise a child. That's so, incredible. So, for blood clotting. Yeah. For blood clotting. Right. Okay. So, so I doubt they really knew what the eighth day was about. But God had created the body and knew that on the eighth day, it will be at the peak. It, it will, they, they say, according to his research, that that, that that will never be as high as on that eighth day. That's incredible. It, it, it really and to is. know that God, you know, a lot of people like to uh, set against science and, and, and God and the word of God. When, when you know, God, you read the Bible, it's not a science book. You know, it's not, it contains scientific mm-hmm. principles, you know, somewhat veiled at times. But, it, but the science is right. Right. But it's it's not an attempt to explain, right. but it has those things in there that you would later find out. Even if, even if you look at the uh, uh, the kosher diet, yeah. there's unquestionably it's healthy. It's a healthier way to eat. Well, sure, sure, it is absolutely. You know, you know, it's it, and especially if you think about like back then what they had available to prepare food and cook food. Now we've Correct. got all kind of preservatives and we got things that right. we we cook our food in the heat and we know that it burns out all that stuff. But as a protection source, he didn't have to explain to them why this food would hurt you. Correct. But it would be detrimental to them if they hurt it. And they didn't have Correct. to have the science. Correct. They had the truth. They had truth. They and so that's just very interesting. And and we got off on the sidebar. I'm, uh, I'm having so much I'm fun. Sorry. No, 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 I want that. Yeah. This is what the kind of stuff I want. Let me I've got one more point. I have a million things that I could ask you and I want to ask you. Let's get out of here on this. Um, if you are familiar with the church uh, in Maryville, uh, you will know that it is a family affair. That they've got man just the most, some of the most gifted, anointed, whether it's singers, musicians, preachers. I'm telling you what, they are just a, a an unbelievable force in the kingdom of God. I want to ask you this question, uh, Bishop Carpenter, as a as a father of young children. I have a seven year old son. I have uh, twin five year old daughters, oh, yes. and uh, I, I love my family more than. I could, I'd ever imagine loving anything. And as a father, I, I know that you feel that way about your children. <clears throat> uh, as a father and, and, and speaking to a father and speaking to other fathers that will be listening, what could you uh, advise? Um, it's, it's unbelievable to me that, that you've done what you've done um, and your children serve God in the way they do. Um, I know the scripture talks about, I have no greater joy. I know that. And, and I, and I, and I look forward to that day. My kids are great. They're real young, but I can't wait. I can't wait to be, and I, they pray at the altar now. I'm going to get emotional. They pray at the altar now and I love it. It's nothing, there's nothing like that. You know, you know, they don't know a lot, you know, mentally they can't comprehend everything, but they, you know, it does me so good when I see them praying in the altar as a father, can you give us some advice on uh, how to balance um, the successful, and it, maybe you're not a minister out there, but maybe you've, you're successful in any any profession, any career that you've chosen. How do you balance that um, without compromising your 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 parental influence, that God given uh, first priority um, of of being that priest and prophet of that home? How do you do that as somebody that's done it so well and so successfully in both fronts? You doesn't look like you sacrifice ministry success 
it didn't look like you sacrificed parental success. It's you've done both. Give us, if you can, I know that's a loaded no. question, but, and take your time. What, what can you tell us about that aspect? Uh, when we, uh, Sister Carpenter and I uh, got the news that our first Fallon was on the way, uh, I went to Bishop McCool because I, I really uh, saw him as a successful parent. You know, Mark is just, is incredible. Amen. Um, and uh, I asked Bishop McCool, I said, could you give me any advice? Fallon wasn't even here. And he said, yes, he said, um, he said, you'll never be able to shelter them from the negative that's in the church. Said, but, but try to always emphasize the positive. Um, said, uh, you, you know, it doesn't take long. Um, your, your, your children will go to one or two camp meetings with you, and then it's not camp meeting anymore. It's, you, you know. And he said, uh, when you go off to preach and they have to miss you for three or four days, or you take them with you, and uh, they give you a love offering, he said, uh, you know, stop by a toy, st- a toy store on the way home and buy them something. You know, let them see that the ministry is not just something that takes away. Let them see that it's something that 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 gives back. And so I always tried. Um, there's no way to to shelter them from the negative, but I've always tried when something would be said negative, uh, when someone would say something to my kids, or they would hear something uh, about about us. I a little funny story. Um, Fallon is probably eight years old. She's coming home on the church van, okay, from school. And a, a girl on the church van um, says to Fallon, says, it's not right. Your, your, your daddy takes all the money at the church. It's not right. Of which Fallon responded, my daddy does not take all the money. said, my daddy pays the light bill and what's left, my daddy keeps for himself. You know, so I said, well, you know, it's not exactly that way, Fallon, you know. But uh, I remember, um, I, I think what made an impact on, on our children, uh, I, was, I was preaching somewhere, uh, and a revival went, went over, and Brother R.B. Bingham, Bishop R.B. Bingham, was preaching for us. I wasn't there at the church. Sister Carpenter was there. At the time, Fallon, I think Fallon, we had Fallon and Lauren at the time, and they were little girls. Well, what Sister Carpenter didn't know, someone came and told her about offering time that she was needed outside. And this person went in a conversation. Well, what she didn't know was that Brother Bingham got up and raised money to fly our family on a vacation to Disney World. Okay. Wow. And so, um, you, you know, Brother Bingham had planned it out so well with one exception, he forgot to have somebody take Fallon out. Okay? So, so Fallon gets home that night and says, we're going to Disney. Okay? That's and, great. And, and so I think, I think just things like that, letting your children see, and, and you, 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 there's no way to protect them from the negative. It's, it's going, but I think if you can emphasize, there's times I've mentioned, I've mentioned to our kids, um, we'd be on vacation and eating at a good restaurant, I'd say, you know, something like, isn't our church people good to us? Isn't this good? I mean, that's great. You know, um, and, and I think just letting them see the, 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 the positive side uh, of it, that it, it is a blessing to be involved in the greatest work, Brother Chesser, the work of God. Amen. Uh, I don't know how it all happened. My family, uh, you, you know, we uh, years ago, uh, we hired a, a man called Chad Erickson to be our um, a youth pastor, and he married Fallon, you know. And then years later, we hired a man to be our athletic director at our school, and he, he marries Lauren, you know. Nolan did tell me, he said, Dad, if you get ready to hire a woman, let me, let me see your post. Let me see. I'd like to let see Let me be in the interviewing yeah, process. <laughs> you know. So it, it, how we got them all, they all work at the church. Um, you, you know, our church doesn't resent that. It's, you know, a lot of folks think, you know, wouldn't they resent this, you know. And, and they don't. It's just a beautiful chemistry that, that we really, and I mean, every pastor would feel this way, we really have a special thing going uh, there. It's just, it's, you guys it, definitely, you know, um, it's, it's a special thing going. Uh, I'm enjoying the absolute daylights out of it. And if I could, uh, and you could edit this out if you like, but I, 
on your podcast, I'd like to give everybody a special invitation to come to our very first movement conference. I, w- I would love this. So we've already got one exclusive. Okay. The the Bible college the Bi- announcement as far as going to the arts. Yes. Yeah. So it's give, go- give it's us another invitation. Be, it's going to be in Maryville. It's going to start on August the 31st and go through September the 2nd. Uh, the movement conference is designed uh, to give you tools for discipleship. Uh, it's We've got some of the greatest ministers that's going to be there ministering uh, and then during the day, we've got all kind of labs that's going to be going on. Um, my goal is to be able to equip a church, uh, Brother Chester, whether it's running 20 or 200, to give them the tools to fit that. And I'd like to give everyone on your podcast a special invitation. Uh, go on our website. You'll find all the information there how to register. Well, that's incredible. Um, something that you you brought out and when you were talking about your, your children, not only did you successfully raise them in truth, in the church, and all of them live for God, and you would think that, you know, one of them would, you know, be doing something else, but still living for God, and yeah. that would be a success. But the, it, seems, it seems as your approach to showing the value of ministry, uh, not protecting from the negative, but reinforcing the positive, did exactly what you would hoped it would do, and if and if they had that calling, or they married someone that was they were right. called into ministry together, that they didn't have those preconceived you know right. negativity, or if they did, they were easily able to overcome it. Because, and I want to say just for the record, um, you know, I know I know what um, um, what's the what's the word um, uh, nepotism looks like when you know you only hire family and it's, yeah. it's you're doing people you're doing yeah. family. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's not nepotism. Yeah. Those every one about every one of your children and their spouses could be involved yeah. on paid staff anywhere, and people would be blessed to have them. It's not well. This is they've got a carpenter name or they those you've got some talented Thank children you. and they're anointed. They're humble. We actually had uh, your son-in-law, Brother Zach, Sister Lauren, do our our youth camp last yeah. month. Did an incredible job. He's, he's, I, he's amazing. I can't get enough of, of yeah. Nolan. Every time I'm around him, yeah. just and and the same thing with uh, Brother Fallon and, uh, I mean, uh, Brother Chad and Sister Fallon. They're just, they're wonderful to, to be around. So Thank you, you if, if, I, you don't want to call the, the, the game before it ends, but yeah. sir, well, as, a, as, a, as a parent, man, job well done. Well. <laughs> I tell our church, Brother Chester, and I'll close with this, but I tell our church, uh, the greatest gift you could give me as Sister Carpenter is to love our children. That's a that's means more to us than a car with a big bow on top of it. That means more the fact that they love our children. Uh, it it means it means the world to us. Well, uh, they, there's a lot there to love, and uh, and Bishop. That being said. I love you, I love and you I'm so thankful that you agreed to do this. It's, I'm glad it's, you invited me. I, I, yeah, I, the, think I'm, I think I'm probably the lowest on the total. I'm glad you invited me. No, sir. Um, the actually, actually, the the next invitation will come from me, and uh, we'll see after you take a few hits right. <laughs> if you'll uh, be. Audience, you heard that now. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure it happens again. Uh, this is our first episode ever to go over an hour. I'm not breaking this into two. Uh, this will be one episode, and I'm so uh, pleased I could go another hour. Uh, but we want to respect uh, Bishop Carpenter's time. He's going to be preaching later tonight. He's already preached twice. Again, I've made reference. He's been uh, overseas in the past week. Uh, the man is so kind to join us today. Thank you, Bishop, and uh, we will see you guys soon. Thanks for listening to the Kenny Chester Podcast. Please consider sharing this episode with a friend, becoming a subscriber, and leaving a review.